Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. In comics, there are many times when a creator becomes associated with a character for having a legendary run that could have spanned a short or a long amount of time but captured the imagination of the fans. And because of that, that creator's name was forever cemented with those characters. What happens after a long period of time when they haven't been on the book for a long time and they are called back? Can they truly go home again? Has there been success stories? Has there been failures? That's what we're going to look at today on Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petunia. And so today, yeah, we're looking at mainstream comic book characters where a creator has had a legendary run, went away, and come back, looking at the good and the bad. Now, Petula, when I pitched this topic, was there a particular creator that popped into your head right away? The main one is one that we've talked about the title before was Dwayne McDuffie coming back to Static Shock. Right. Or the rebirth of the cool. Yeah, but that's really more of a creator own title. Like that's, yeah. you'd expect you'd want that person to come back because that's their character. But the fact that the whole imprint went through all those changes and there was a schism, it's one of those nature's healing moments when they get to come back and do another one that whether or not everything ended the way they wanted to, at least you get like one more kick at the can, especially after the TV show made that character so much more accessible to a bunch of people who didn't read comics. Mm. So then having another, even if it's just like a mini run by the OG for the people who love Virgil before and during and will continue to after, it's one of those ones that almost feels like a Hollywood kind of ending. If you end it there and then like, then have like the sad like after credits like of he passed away when like he was relatively young and blah 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 sort of like the end credits in line when i just like start like bawling hysterically but yeah definitely that whole him passing as young as he did was sad enough for comics especially like black comic creators but that he got to do that other revisit of virgil especially what that character has done in general and, mm. and how it was really the anchor of the milestone imprint. It does something. And all of those like posthumous awards he won, it, it does really resonate with that ethos of give people their flowers while they're alive, like appreciate them while they're here. Dwayne McDuffie, you know, of course was the writer creator of one of the creators of static shock, but then there are a number of times where creators are known for coming on to a mainstream character at Marvel or DC that they did not create, that they did end up staying on the book for a long or short time and left a mark by creating characters within that title or telling epic storylines and crossovers, or of course also drawing them, that in between their first kick at the can and their return to the character, multiple years have gone by and things have changed. And I think when I think about a creator that has come back to the characters he's best known for, not just once, but multiple times, that's got to be Chris Claremont. Now, with Chris Claremont, though, with the X-Men, 
it is very much that feeling of the can you ever truly go home again? Because, of course, we talked about it on this show in our episode about Jim Lee's X-Men. Chris Claremont was basically let go from the X-Men title in 1991. He was told, we want Jim Lee plotting this. We want to make it all about Jim Lee. And Claremont didn't appreciate that. And so he wrote the three-issue intro to the series, and then he shoved off. And for a number of years, he was working a lot of lower run comic companies like more independent comic companies and working uh, on novels and things like that. But in 1998, he got to come back to Marvel as a creative director. And in 2000, of course, the year that the X-Men movie came out, he was handed the keys to both uncanny X-Men and then just X-Men and told, you're going to get to tell the stories you want to tell. And that kind of freedom that Claremont got lasted for maybe about three or four issues. And I will say it's warranted that editorials started to meddle, but they meddled a bit too much because when Claremont came back to the book, he had it that uh, Colossus had a secret crush on Rogue and like started really introducing all these new facets of the characters and he refused to have Jean Grey and Wolverine get together, even though Cyclops was no longer around at this point. Bob Harris, the editor-in-chief, started really pushing for Claremont to make his stories be like the movie so that they could properly tie in and tie into these new fans that were coming to check out X-Men comics. And so, of course, that did not go well. There was a lot of headbutting between Bob Harris and Chris Claremont. And in 2001, Joe Quesada came in, taking Bob Harris's spot as the editor-in-chief, looked at the situation and went, okay, you got two choices. We're planning to bring in Grant Morrison. We can give him one X title and you the other. Or we can make a brand new X-Men title for you to go off and write that won't have an effect on the core X-Men titles. And I remember when this happened, Extreme X-Men came out. It ran for about 46 issues. And I'll tell you, I didn't read any of it. And during that time as a Marvel fan, the characters that were in that book, you didn't see them anywhere else. And like, I couldn't remember like anything that happened. I knew that the team was made up of Storm, Rogue, Gambit, Bishop, uh, some new characters, a new Thunderbird, uh, Sage. And then Psylocke was on the team. Beast was on the team for a short time. Psylocke was killed off and brought back to life during the story. A lot of stuff happened, but people really weren't reading that book. But Grant Morrison in 2004 decided to leave the X titles to go to DC for an exclusive contract. So Claremont was given back the Uncanny X-Men book and Extreme X-Men was canceled. And I'll tell you right now, I don't think there's one memorable story that came out of that two years back on Uncanny X-Men. I've never heard anybody talk about that run. And so you think, okay, well, that's the end of Claremont with X-Men. No. Nope. In 2009, Marvel announced X-Men Forever, which began in June of that year and was a continuing series with the original premise of what if Chris Claremont was never kicked off the X-Men in 91 and got to continue telling the stories he wanted to tell from there. And it eventually kind of became like an alternate timeline book. But again, nobody really talks about these stories because when people think about Claremont's work, they think about God Loves Men Kills, Dark Phoenix Saga, Days of Future Past, uh, like a lot of big ones like that. 
like that huge run that he did 11 years on the book or so, something like that. Actually, I think it may be more like 16 years on the book straight. Nobody thinks about these later runs. So it's almost like, what was the point to go back to them? Like, was it better to be known for the big run at the beginning and have that a major, major successful run or to have kind of like this back end of stories that kind of is like subpart. I think he gives me more of a Tony Fernandez in the Blue Jays who returned oh, yeah. five times left. and came back left. and came back in a way, very similar to some of our favorite creators who sort of bounce around between the bigs and go to an image or top cow, come back, whatever in that as their body skill changes as they get older it's not that they don't have value to add they have different value to add but they always add value and it may not be the same as when they were there the first time when they were young but they always end up helping towards a winning strategy Mm. and i think the lesson that maybe obviously no executive or middle manager would ever admit I'm sure in their mind, there's like a big what if, pun intended, what if we had never left? And not just like the X-Men forever, but just the, I see that they are giving some of their newer creators a little more. Not all the time. There's still all kinds of drama and beef and abrupt departures and things getting canceled. But I would like to think current Marvel would not just boot somebody who'd started something and, and written Things that were literally the blueprint for the reason why people are so thirsty, even for X-Men to come back to the films. Some of the best things about the characters, some of the funniest things about the characters, some of the pervious, weirdest things about the characters. Like this, there's world building, but Homie did like world building on like almost like Tolkien-esque level. I agree. And they just treated him like trash. And I'd like to think that they wouldn't treat somebody who was that good, that bad, that abruptly anymore or they wouldn't do it again to someone so i think in a way this is the case of getting their if not their flowers like some kind of recompense for that epic all-time level work they put in okay but if it's giving someone their flowers but then each time they come back pushing them off quicker and quicker from the book that really isn't giving them their flowers also it is claremont coming back to the book it's also a very I, abusive relationship. Yeah, it's a like, abusive he only relationship, hits me because yeah. he loves me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Claremont coming back to the book, unfortunately, like didn't have the same value as his previous work did. Like you talked about all the world building he did. Most of the new concepts and characters he created in the times of his comebacks were never really used by anybody else and almost forgotten is what I'm saying. It's kind of like the exact opposite of, say, a George Perez coming back to the Avengers. Of course, George Perez made his name in the 70s with the Avengers, you know, and brought in a lot of really cool concepts. He created Henry Peter Guyridge, uh, co-created that character. He co-created the Taskmaster. He really put in a lot of the building blocks that the rest of the Avengers stories would build off of. Of course, he was one of the artists contributing to Jim Shooter's Korvax saga in the Avengers. He had a lot of fun, cool little, like, it would be, I'll do like a year on it, then I'm going to go away for a little bit, then I'll come back and do another year. But he kind of built his name so much so that when he jumped over to DC for Teen Titans and stuff, he still did Avengers for a little bit because he was known as the Avengers guy. In fact, 
in the 80s, they had planned a big DC Justice League Avengers crossover that Perez was supposed to draw. And it got scrapped because of editorial changes. So it got thrown by the wayside. So for years, no Perez doing Avengers. And then in 1998 or 97, 97, 98 time, George Perez was asked to come back to draw Avengers. And at the time, Perez was like, well, I'm not really up to date on the characters or anything like that. And they're like, no, no, we're going to pair you with writer Kurt Busiek, who's like the ultimate historian on the Avengers has kept to date. He's like an encyclopedia. The two of you are going to create some pretty big stories. And what it led to was not only the longest run that Perez has ever done on the book. It also brought in such like kind of iconic Avengers stories like Ultron Unlimited. And it really kind of cemented why George Perez was the quintessential Avengers artist. Of course, also being icked by Al Vey on this run, which made him look like a million bucks. And then so much so because of the popularity of that, a few years later when he finished his run with Avengers, they finally let him and Busiek do that JLA Avengers crossover series that people wanted so bad back in the 80s. And it was pretty freaking amazing. Perez put his heart into it. Of course, recently, of course, Perez passed away. And before his passing, there was a special re-release of JLA Avengers in a trade form to uh, help raise money from the Heroes Initiative and help with the Perez family. And so, like, when I look at the things that happened at Claremont and the things that happened with Perez, I think Perez probably had one of the best homecomings to a character in all of mainstream comics with that Avengers. I guess I almost, and that's where I think they learned from some of their mistakes. You can't expect someone to come back and do the exact same thing. You have to let him cook as the kids would say. Mm. And I think he got a little more room to do that. It's a possibility. I don't know. Maybe sometimes you do have to just push the old out on the ice flow. And uh, let them get devoured by polar bears and fishes. However, I do think that letting people do what they're good at and giving them time to do it or giving them choice and space. But you're dealing with corporations so often when it's these memorable characters, for the most part, except for in the case of McDuffie, where nobody's really touching it because it was almost defunct. They often don't get to come back to it in the state it was left. Uh, often things have been done similar to getting a job in like government or even just taking over a job from somebody who maybe was sleeping at the switch or took them while to play someone. If there's a whole bunch of mess that somebody did that you hated or that made no sense with your idea of the characters, then you're almost starting from scratch and you spend so much time undoing things that are problematic that by the time you get to actually affect some change, People are like, well, what are they doing? Mm. Yeah, I, I can see that. But then sometimes also a creator has to come back and look at, okay, this is everything that's happened with the characters since I've been away and admit to themselves that it's not all bad and not try to completely set them back, you know, upon years and instead try to incorporate in what's been left there before. Absolutely. And sometimes I wish they didn't go back. And just did new things. I mean, yeah. 
And maybe that is the difference between somebody like a Perez and a Claremont, a world builder versus like a kind of elite jobber, like the God is watchmaker. Mm. Some people should just come in and set things up and then walk away. Like Claremont talks about how much he loves other people's work on Daredevil, which is one of the first characters he worked on. But like he doesn't seem as fussed about well, certain because, characters. Yeah, he didn't really have yeah. a... Like he worked on Daredevil, but he didn't really work, work on Daredevil. Like it's not like the X-Men or Sam is Marvel. It's somebody who he did a few issues on, you know, and moved on sort of thing. Whereas like the X-Men spend his long time there, you know? I think probably there's also the case of sometimes a creator will do something that's so iconic with a character that it really left a mark with the fans. That when fans think of that character, even if they've only been there a short time, fans think of that character, they think of that story. And then almost editorial is afraid to reel that person in when they bring them back on the book, like is the case with Frank Miller with Batman. Yes. And <laughs> I was avoiding saying his name when I was talking about Daredevil. Just Claremont's talked about, even his AMA, he talked about how much he loved what Frank Miller did with Daredevil. Yeah. Yes, after. yes. Yeah. Of course. And because Frank Miller... Frank Miller was like basically with with Daredevil was kind of like what Claremont and Byrne had with X Men, where it's like, oh, these are that's kind of like this is this is the book that made you a star. And so what Miller did is that with Daredevil making him a star, he went over to the Distinguished Competition and in the mid '80s ended up doing two iconic Batman stories that people talk about to this day, but they're both relatively short. There was, of course, the Dark Knight Returns miniseries. It was done in prestige format, four issues. That came out in 86. And then in 87, he did a four-issue run on Batman, issues 404 to 407, Batman Year One, with art by David Mazzuchelli, who he would go on to return to Daredevil with for a seven-issue run called Born Again. So he got to come back to Daredevil, do like a cute little you know, bow out final curtain call thing with that. But these two Batman stories in the eighties held up by Batman fans as the turning point for Batman as what made Batman the dark Knight, which of course led to a bunch of terrible stories where people tried to go too far with the darkness, including Miller himself, who in the two thousands got to come back to do Batman, the dark Knight strikes again. And he, he did, it felt like very much like all of the worst things in a Snyder JLA type story or a Snyder Batman movie or Superman movie, like all that just turned up to 11 and it didn't like that book did not sell well. It was a bad like return. Like fans were like, oh, this is not, this is nowhere near the Dark Knight Returns. I don't know about this Dark Knight Strikes again. A few years later, he would do all-star Batman and Robin which of course we've talked about uh, Grant, uh, Grant Morrison on here with all-star Superman. That is probably one of the best Superman stories of all time. The next all-star title to come out was all-star Batman and Robin, where it's like you can slightly out of, well, basically out of continuity stories with your characters that are supposed to be iconic. And so they teamed him up with Jim Lee and they did all-star Batman and Robin, where Batman said amazing lines like I'm the goddamn Batman and him and black canary just, Start having sex on a dock. Why? Because it's cool. And really, again, set the tone to where it's like, okay, is a 12-year-old who's really horny writing this book. And that <laughs> book to, exactly. Horny 12-year-old. 
And that book not only wasn't great creatively, was panned by the critics, it also took like a year and a day. Like it just took so long for it to come out. But you think, okay, DC, we've learned our lesson. They went, no, no, but people, even though they don't like it, will at least get enough of an initial sales bump. Let's give them another Dark Knight title. Now, of course, when they did Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, they paired him with Brian Azzarello. They brought in Andy Kubert and Claus Jansen, and they kind of made it a team effort. And that ended up selling really well. But it wasn't Miller's true vision. So he got to come back and do, in 2016, he got to do The Last Crusade with John Romita Jr. And that, once again, diminishing returns. Fans were not feeling it. Finally, in December 2019, Dark Knight Returns The Golden Child. Also, mixed reviews, not the sales that they expected for it. So it's like, really, like, how many times do you have to see somebody come back and creatively fail before you go, no, I'm stepping in. Let's stop this. I mean, some people like to get hurt. <laughs> and in this case, in this case, it was a publisher. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's always strange. And you're like, but maybe it's just the press. Maybe it's the drama. Some people just are messy people who live for drama. Mm. Yeah. I, I I honestly don't know. I always wonder. There's always that one person at a job where you're like, why are they still here? Like, what do they have on someone? Like, what's going on? Like, there's <laughs> there's clearly, <laughs> like, you're waiting for memoirs to come out. Like, you're waiting for some sort of, like, Quincy Jones-esque Vulture article. Like, yeah, we all were screwing each other back in the day. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, these are, like, legitimate mysteries. Yeah. For me, like some of the more recent ones kind of speak to some of the best and worst things about where we are with the internet right now. And one of my favorites is like the quick 180 on our Khaleesi, our queen of the Twitter ashes, Gail Simone, with the, you're off Batgirl, you're back on Batgirl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and, if anything, it's not even at the book because we all have our different feelings about Batgirl and Barbara and should she have just stayed Oracle? Who knows? Whatever. But that was one of those moments that I think it taught people something in both a good way and a bad way of this is the power when your fans complain. And we know how DC fans love to complain. Yeah. <laughs> and we know how that could go wrong. And occasionally it can work for the good. Mm. Like we've talked many times and, you know, many creators have talked fairly openly about, I mean, there's problems on both sides of the bigs, but definitely DC the editorial just seems to be like dealer's choice. Like depending on who gets moved to be in charge of whatever titles you're on, you either have a good job or a bad job and that can change any given day. So taking off a writer, whether you love what they're doing, the fact that they turned around that quickly, it means that the decision for them to leave the title wasn't about their work. It was about things that didn't make sense. Mm. And because of the hellscape that is the internet for this generation of comic book fans, they have a way, aside from, you know, writing to letters to the editor, Stan Soapbox or whatever, to actually complain loud enough soon enough in large enough groups to 
maybe not always affect change immediately, but at least let their feelings be known. It's an interesting time where I think I wonder about the Claremont era or whatever. Like, what if that had happened now? It would not have taken like almost 10 years for him to come back for sure. Right. And even some of the changes they made, they would have just like, it's all a dream. And it would have been like (laughs) like abbreviated and like he would have been brought back much faster. Right, right. Yeah. One other name that I want to mention is a creator that not only made his name on a certain book, but no matter where this book has gone, because it is not a straight up regular mainstream comic title in the sense that it's owned by a particular company, it is a licensed title that everywhere this title has gone, this creator has kind of found his way back to it. And that is Larry Hama with G.I. Joe. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> of course, he wrote every issue of the 155 issue run at Marvel Comics started in the 80s, ended in 94. And by the end of that, in 94, because they had to work in whatever the toys were, they became like uh, Snake Eyes and the Ninja Force and stuff because the toy wasn't doing that great by 94. And so while not didn't end the greatest, can't really blame it on Hama because, of course, he's kind of held to, you have to keep working in these toys. So that was the situation. In 2006, Hammer would get to return to the book when Devil's Due Publishing picked up the license for G.I. Joe earlier that decade, and they brought him in to do a miniseries, G.I. Joe Declassified, which chronicled the recruitment, the kind of like the origin story of G.I. Joe. And, uh, you know, the first member was by General Hawk. And then he also got to do a spin-off Storm Shadow series and really, you know, got to once again reclaim his name for G.I. Joe, but not fully. In September 2008, IDW announced that they had the license, and they originally brought him in to write, a, a again, a new G.I. Joe origin tale. And he wrote the first five issues of that, and then he returned to write more, because originally it was supposed to just be a five-issue mini, but it spent, like it sold well enough that they kept it going, and so he got to come back and write a few issues, including doing a homage to his own silent story which we covered on the show. And then IDW later just went, hey, why don't we just let Larry Hama just continue writing the run that he did back in at Marvel? We have the rights to everything. They put out a book called number 155 and a half and then continued the run on from there. You go to 156, 157. And for the entirety of its time at IDW, he got to write the G.I. Joe Real American Hero book. And so he is a man. So that, he got the he got the Uno reverse of what happened to Claremont. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. So Larry Hammer is probably the ultimate success story on returning to a character that they were once known for. So it's one of those things where the powers that be don't understand, but the creators do, why their original kind of foundational works had such mass appeal and for both claremont and hama it's a similar thing where all of their people were just part of the team and they didn't have uh certain genders only be the overpowered ones so you have a wolverine but then you also have a g like you have your scarlet you have your other joes like it's they have both said in multiple interviews like they were aware that they had many uh, people who love their work because the women were just part of the team. 
Exactly. Young girls would read both those books specifically yeah. because of that. Yeah. And guess what? You make more money when you make stuff for more people. Yeah. And it's something to to learn from kids. Like you loved your X-Men back in the day and then you make a play now because I guess you forgot critical thinking and same for like 100% we I played with GI Joes like they weren't mine like it was mm. some boy down the street who had a bunch of GI Joes and we would go over to his place to play he had like the whole boat and everything else and like I was mad for that stuff because there weren't just like soldier boys in his whole little U-boat set up there it was like a whole community of people yeah no exactly it was interesting looking back Look at doing the research of this and looking at the various creators and seeing which ones got to return a triumphant king and which ones were treated more like, oh, it's you again. <laughs> or, or sometimes people get to decide with their own creations. I just need a break for a while so I can come back fresh, like Brian yeah. K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples coming back to Saga. That was one of those moments when I walked into the local comic book store and I saw the Saga poster up. When we were in the middle of the panda bear and it really felt like we might be okay, guys. <laughs> and that's the thing, I guess, with the, the rise of Image and other uh, companies that push towards more creator-owned titles or at least more creatively free series. Instead and, of just pumping out garbage, you can let creators take a break, stop something, and then restart it when they're ready. Exactly, exactly. And uh, because of that, I think a lot of uh, a lot of publishers are realizing that fans will read the creators they love if they're given the respect that they deserve and given the leeway to tell the story they want to tell. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think we've come to the end of this week's Back Issue Bloodbath, and uh, we hope that if there's particular creators out there that you guys love that we didn't mention in this that you'd like to have us mention in maybe a future episode, by all means. Send us an email at uh, geekartshow at gmail.com with uh, back issue bloodbath in the subject line. And uh, we'll read the email in a future episode. But for now, Batula, where can people find you? At initiff.com on social things. At Obesacantavit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-A-T. And here with you. Of course, you can find everything I do over at geekartshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at Geekard. Follow me on Instagram at Andrew underscore of underscore geek underscore hard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath where we post a new episode every week. And if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, you want to go and subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And then you want to go and tell your friend or tell a neighbor or tell someone else you know who reads comics or even Tell an enemy that you're hoping will reform about back issue bloodbath. Maybe if they listen to us, maybe they won't be such an asshole. Who knows? I'd like to think we could help with that. This has been back issue bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Batuanio. Have yourself a good. Back issue.